Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome Bill Leahy back to the podcast. Welcome, Bill. Hey, James. Thanks for having me. So, Bill, you are a principal instructor with Iridicio. You've been with Iridicio for a little bit longer than I have. You come bringing a background from manufacturing plus military, although super brief. What can you tell us about yourself? Uh, you just about covered it. Yeah, I went to West Point, uh, spent some time in the Army after that, then went to work at a sawmill in Oregon. Uh, became a student with Air D Show, went through the IBL program, came on as an instructor, and it's been about three and a half years. And uh, yeah, that's really it. All right. Excellent. So you've been involved in maintenance and reliability for a fairly good period of time then. And one of the things I want to talk to you about is failure mode effect analysis. Now, I know we've talked about this topic many a times, not just you, but others on the podcast, but I think it's important for people to really understand the power and importance of these things. And more importantly is how do we lead them so we're getting the right level of participation, the right level of details, that type of thing. But before we dive into that, can you tell us what an FMEA is? Sure. Uh, An FMEA or failure mode effects analysis is a tool or a process used to identify uh, all the failures within a system, a process, or a machine assembly. Uh, It identifies first really the, the function of it, and then it's looking at all the ways in which that function can be inhibited. And by identifying the specific failures that do that, we have a couple knobs that we can turn to reduce the risk that those things pose. Uh, and when I say risk, I'm always going to be talking about the probability of failure and the consequence. So by knowing how they fail, we can assess both of those things and affect them based on the mitigation strategies that we decide uh, when we're doing the FMEA. All right, perfect. So. I think you kind of summarized it, but why do we need to do FMEAs? Why can't we just rely on OEM recommendations or some other approach? Why do we actually got to take time to do these things? Well, the great thing about the FMEA is that it can be done at different phases of the life cycle. Uh, So an FMEA, for instance, can be done in the design phase. And I think that's the the best way to explain what I'm about to say is you you don't know what you don't know. So uh, a lot of people consider... FMEA, a root cause analysis tool, and that's exactly it. You're diving into the unknown with it because you're looking at every possible way in which it fails. So you're going to discover things that uh, were previously maybe hidden failures or you didn't know about, or the historical data is not capturing it. They're symptoms of other things or they're um, forcing functions and conditions that would otherwise not be accessible or prevalent to us. So it's a, uh, it, it really provides a, a transparency that we wouldn't have otherwise. That's, I think that's the main reason for doing it. In general, um, most people with experience or tradesmen or those kinds of things understand the, if, if you put a system in front of them, they would be able to explain in general terms, probably 
80% of how this thing would fail and be fairly accurate with it. Uh, a failure mode effects analysis closes the gap between that and um, just about everything else that could that could surprise you. All right, so it really allows us to not just understand the most common failures that occur, but all of those very rare events, highly unlikely events, or the ones that have severe consequences that are like one in a million opportunities. It really allows us to get to that level of detail and understand all those different risks. That's exactly it. I I could not have put it better. All right, perfect. Now, who should be leading these FMEAs? Do we want a subject matter expert? Who do we want leading these things? You want an FMEA expert leading it. I, and, and again, that's, a, that's prefer, preferably. Uh, as, as far as facilitation goes, uh, I believe FMEAs are one of the most difficult things to do and to get good at. It takes a lot of repetition and time. Uh, so someone who is familiar with the process and then also the equipment is ideal. So in the most perfect of conditions, you would want someone who has done multiple FMEAs, understands the process, has facilitation skills in order to keep the group on track. Because this is one of those things, it can go come off the rails pretty quick. So having someone that can uh, manage both the process, the group, and the direction of the meeting all at once is key. All right. So if we had a choice between a good facilitator or an SME, we're taking the good facilitator every time. In my opinion, absolutely. All right. I agree 100%. We want to have someone who can pull that group together, keep them moving, keep them on track, stop some of the rabbit holes that we frequently see with FMEAs. And, you know, in my experience, the subject matter experts, they're going to love those rabbit holes and deep dive those things and just derail the, the rest of the team. Oh, yeah. It's an opportunity to prove how smart you are to everybody else. (laughs) Absolutely. So what team should we assemble for an FMEA? Is it just a subject matter expert, a facilitator, and one or two mechanics, or do we need more people than that? Uh, Anyone who has uh, insight into the operation or understands the functions of whatever we're looking at, whether it is a process or a design or or an asset um, during its useful life, you want... um, Operators, certainly. Uh, and I think that they understand the failure mechanisms um, better than anyone in some cases because they are just on it uh, 24-7, not really, but for their shifts, a long period of time, they are observing, listening, hearing. So their understanding of the failure effects, so the, the manifestation of the actual failures and what that looks like is going to be a lot clearer than most other people. Uh, others that could be involved in it. Of course, you want the gentlemen and the ladies that are doing the maintenance on the equipment. Uh, the vendors are another good option. People who have helped design it. Uh, reliability engineers. A- anyone who can provide insight into the the function of the machine, uh, how all the assets work together, or the components, and then um, yeah, the process itself. Yeah, I, th- I like how you mentioned operators. I commonly see them left out of FMEAs, and I think they provide insight that a lot of others don't have, and especially for those small chronic issues. They deal with these things day in, day out. Mechanics might not even be aware of them, and you know that eats our lunch. So if we can identify those issues, put in countermeasures, whether it's maintenance, training, whatever it is, we can eliminate those and give a huge amount back to operations without a whole lot of effort. Yeah. And that's a, 
Um, I'm glad you brought this up too. Yeah, that uh, this is a, a really important facilitation piece of it. You have to create an environment as a facilitator that makes operators feel welcome. Because uh, like you said, operators are often overlooked, but offer, operators, uh, in my experience, will often avoid situations like this because they feel like they're going to go in and just get beat up or tore to pieces, um, which is a possibility because one of one of our, our favorite things to you know point the finger of blame at is uh, operator error. And that's going to come up during the FMEA um, multiple times as things that we do as people can lead to failures. Uh, and we need to understand that. So creating an atmosphere that operators can come in and share, feel respected and part of the process is, is really important. And one of the challenges a good facilitator has to have. Yep, absolutely. So now that we got this team together, how, well, how do we perform the FMEA? What's the steps to this process? Do we just throw the template up on a computer screen and away we go? Or is there a little bit more to it? Uh, I, I'm glad that you said template. There, there is a lot to it. I, I think the most important stage of the FMEA is the preparation stage. Uh, that is, so a facilitator, like you said, does not need to be a subject matter expert. They could be a third party that comes in and helps, but they need to prepare for the FMEA. And that starts with understanding the equipment. So if possible, uh, going in, walking down the equipment, value, val, uh, validating a hierarchy is one of the, one of the things that I like to do um, because it forces me to, to really walk down the entire machine part by part. Uh, and I start at the beginning of the process, say this is the inputs, and then look at all the, all the things that it needs to do um, in order to successfully achieve its output. And then when I stand in front of the group, I will have the confidence to be able to ask the questions that I need to. I'll know what information I need to draw out. <clears throat> and, and a lot of it I already know, but I want them to talk about it and go through it. And they're going to identify things the, that they may have remembered after the meeting or some point down the road and we would have missed. So preparation is a big part of it. Uh, and, and not just to walk down and understanding the equipment, but also preparing uh, the classroom or whatever you're doing, the FMEA, uh, the environment you're doing it in. I put uh, not just the Excel template, which I actually, in most cases, I, I don't necessarily show, um, but I prepare my whiteboard and flip charts and things well in advance. So the flow of the meeting uh, is continuous and we, we don't really get bogged down. Uh, so preparation is the most important piece for me. All right. Excellent. So how do you facilitate an FMEA then? We've, we've done that preparation. We've, we're ready to go. How do we facilitate it? You mentioned you don't always show the template. If you're not showing that, how do we facilitate? Okay. Uh, so when I say template, we're talking about like the Excel sheet that has the part, the problem, the cause, and all that stuff that we're going to be filling in. Uh, the reason I don't show that, it's, it is, in, in some cases I do. It, de it depends on the organization and in the, in the group that I'm working with. Uh, that can be intimidating to people who have never seen these things before and they want to be completely focused on that tool. Uh, we can capture what we want to get, the inputs that are going to go into that um, with a, a simple whiteboard presentation or a visual. Uh, the functional block diagram, I think, is essential. That's one of the first things I would do. So I would gather the group. We have the preparation is done. Um, and one of the outputs I'll have personally from the walk down is I will have my own functional block diagram. 
uh, and I will recreate it through the facilitation and they will make corrections on it because uh, certainly I won't be 100% correct on it. Uh, so we'll, we'll make the adjustments, understand the different systems and subsystems and the, all the functions that we need to consider. So that's the first step, recreating a functional block diagram up there, validating the hierarchy once again, so we know that we're not missing any of the components that we need to. And uh, after we do that, um, functions are set up. We put in the functional failures, which is always the too much, too little, not at all. And when I say that, so if we have something that's supposed to do uh, 100 units of something, uh, if it goes greater than 100 units, we have to ask, is that a problem? And if it is, then that is a functional failure we consider. If it does less than that 100 units, is that a bad thing? In most instances, that's the one that's absolutely yes. And then what happens if it dies completely, if we cannot produce anything? So three different functional failures, we list those out. Um, we measure the severity of those functional failures and start focusing function by function on the most severe to start with. And we're breaking down each of the components in there and how those possibly fail. And we end up with a very, very long list of all the failure modes by function that we need to then evaluate on um, risk and detectability. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook, a smarter way of preventative maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.iridicio.com. All right, excellent. Now, when we're facilitating these events, how long should they be? Is it, you know, an hour, two hours, eight hours? What's the magic number that you found? I don't think you put a boundary on it. Right. So in general, uh, so the overall length of it, I'm, I wouldn't put a boundary on it's until complete. So it could be, um, whatever meeting and then UTC until complete is, is how I would express the overall process. Individual meetings. I try to limit to two hour blocks, um, with a little break in between, of course, and then maybe, um, a more significant break in between them. So individual sessions, I like to keep at two hours. Uh, how many sessions it takes is dependent on the, um, the facilitator, the group, what kind of information we have in the beginning. Um, not all FMEAs are created equal. Some can be very, very quick and some can be a long drawn out process. Um, so really the, you cannot, you can estimate the time, but you're, you're not going to have an exact prediction for how long it's going to take. Yeah, I agree about the overall process. I'm just more concerned about the individual meetings because, you know, if we lock people in a room for four hours or eight hours at a time, they're going to lose their minds and never probably come back. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think two hours with a break in between is just fine. I, I don't like going longer than an hour at any time without some kind of reprieve. All right, excellent. Now, when you're doing these FMEAs, we have our ground rules. So, hour at a time, two hours max for individual sessions. Are there any other ground rules you want to, you typically establish or anything else you do to set up that team for success? Oh, I'm great. Yeah, this is, this is a, a great topic of discussion. So the part of that preparation phase is um, understanding what our boundaries need to be. So the first thing a facilitator needs to do when they get everybody in the room is establish clear boundaries 
Um, one of the most important being what level of the hierarchy we're going down to or what level of analysis are we going to take this to? Because the rabbit holes you mentioned earlier, that is that is your best defense against wasting time chasing rabbits is if you said and say, okay, we are going to take our causes down to uh, the assembly level or all the way down to, you know, the part level. We need to make a decision on that very, very early because that will, that really will not just influence, but dictate how long the meeting takes is deciding what level we're going to go to. So that's one of the first ones. You you established uh, roles for who's going to be doing the recording. You could have immediate data entry into Excel sheets. Someone who understands the sheet and can um, catch things as they happen. So there's less probability of uh, miscommunications. Uh, yeah, so there's different roles you need to assign, uh, setting up the ground rules, um, just typical meeting etiquette stuff. Uh, laying that out, but also, and then communicating the process. So you, you have people, they understand the roles, you know what level of detail you're gonna to go to, and then understanding the process. Um, so people can kind of check through it as you go along. And that's one of the, the facilitation tips I will share is uh, the FMEA steps I like to put on the board. One, it's a, it's a great check for myself to make sure I don't skip over anything and have to go back. Uh, but people like to go through it. It's like the uh, agenda, like your nephew's graduation. You get to see, you're like, okay, great. The benediction's done. Cross that off. When can I go home? And you get to check things off. Uh, it makes the experience a lot more enjoyable. Yep, absolutely. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, some of that prep work, having those the steps on the wall is one piece talking about the boundaries of the asset, how deep we're going to go is important. If it's a very critical piece of equipment or something where life safety is important, we're going to go deeper than if it's a redundant pump, right? So setting those boundaries. The other thing I personally found while facilitating is that depending upon the group, some groups have a hard time going from the failure modes to countermeasures. So what I'll do is I'll do all the failure modes and risk ranking on one day, one session, and then we'll come back the following session and do countermeasures separately. Other groups struggle with that and they want to do one, then the other right away. So I think knowing your group is important to figure out how you're going to structure these different sessions. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. Yeah. I, I, I tend to like to do that too, whenever I'm doing something and I, I actually eat the same way. Um, it drives my wife nuts, but I will put, only one or two things on my plate at any given time. And I have to finish one before I go to the other. And it just makes sense to me. And I kind of facilitate that way, just like you expressed, I'll do uh, one portion of it that makes sense. And that's kind of the same thing. You put boundaries on it. Like, Hey, we're not going to go into talking about remedy at this point. We're just going to stick to the part problem and cause and knock that out and work our way through the whole sheet. I, I think that's brilliant because it is a shift in, uh, in your mind or the lens that you're looking at these things through um, from identifying problems to identifying remedies. It's, it's a completely different thought process. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. And that's the problem is seeing that mind shift occur. Some groups can do that well, others struggle with it. So that's why I always try and figure out where, how are we going to break that up? Yeah. Now, no, great. How do you know when it's enough for one day? I know you talked about two hour sessions, but sometimes, you know, we're hitting an hour and a half and the team's just dragging. How do we know when it's time just to call it enough for one day, pause, come back later? So you can, uh, I, this is this is another facilitation thing and, and it's all about setting expectations. Uh, 
if you want to get people turned off to it or shut them down uh, for an extended period of time, uh, set an expectation and don't meet that. That's that will turn people off more than anything else. So what you want to do is set an expectation and live up to that. So you have two options at the beginning. You can either work towards a condition. Say, okay, we finished part problem cause for these specific functions. That marks the end of the day. And you have to understand that you you want to fit it in with that time frame, that expectation you set. Uh, so you can work to a condition. So be condition-based in state, or you can work to time is, is how I get around having um, – issues with people tuning out they say okay we will work till this time our next meeting is at this and we, we will pick it up uh that's a good starting point right set an expectation make sure you live up to it um so people people will have an end in sight they understand what's going on um i'm actually I, i'm going through a master's program at the university of north carolina right now their mba program and one of the things we're we're doing right now is operations and we talk, we were, the last class was on um, waiting line management and understanding that and it's the psychology of it. And, and it actually came up with some good things. When you're standing in a line uh, and it identified the things that make the experience a lot worse, if you don't know how long the line is, if there's nothing to entertain you, you don't know what the problem is, is why it's taking that long. Um, those, those are just natural human instincts to, to wonder about that stuff. So if you can set the expectations and make a clear effort to meet them so people know what is going on, how long it's going to take, what their part in it is. It relieves a lot of anxiety. Um, if I can't work to the condition, if I'm starting to realize I'm not going to make it there or the time is too long and they're not a part of it, uh, I'm looking for cues from them, uh, whether it's lack of participation, they sit back, they fold their arms, uh, we're not getting to the point that we need to. So the efficiency of the meeting starts to drag. Those are the things. And I will just call it at that point and have us um, refit or send them on a break or something. But yeah, if you're starting to realize you're being less efficient and you're wasting your time and their time or the quality of the analysis is deteriorating, uh, then it's important to just to stop it. All right. Perfect. Now, kind of along the same lines, if we have two SMEs that are debating a particular failure mode or going down a rabbit hole on something, how do we dress that? Uh, nip it in the bud. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and the best way to do that is to have a parking lot. Uh, I know you're familiar with the term, but for, for the listeners that aren't, a parking lot is um, you establish it in the beginning of the meeting. And this is one of the things you can set up um, prior to folks getting there, you have it up. It's a flip chart or it's a piece of paper on the wall or just a section. And you put sticky notes on it and it's anything you want to go back and address. So if I have two SMEs that are going at it and it's not taking us anywhere, um, it's it's a good way of, and I'm going to say it, shutting them down, but also not um, disrespecting them in any way and telling them what they're discussing is not important. They say, hey, um, gentlemen, ladies, whoever it is, hey, this is a great discussion. We need to continue this. You guys have solid points. We need to get to the bottom of it, but right now we need to continue so we can meet that condition in state or that time-based in state. Uh, so I'm going to take what you guys are discussing so we don't forget it, write it down on a sticky note and put it up on the parking lot and come back to it later. All right. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. The same thing along with that parking lot is I've told SMEs in the past, okay, at the end of the meeting, you two go figure out what the answer is and come back and tell us. Right. Yeah. You can take up time outside, but don't interrupt the team in the, in the flow. Yep. 
So with that being said, we've talked a lot about the facilitation side of thing. Was there anything else on leading FMEAs that we didn't cover that you think was important? Stay organized. So that's, have your process and that's great. Um, know your process, stick to it, but staying organized is key. Uh, you're going to be doing a, after these meetings, right? So you're in these, it's difficult to get people to meetings. We all know that particularly with things like this, if a group doesn't understand the FMEA and why it's important, uh, getting leadership to send, take their people away from their direct work and have them come to something like an FMEA is difficult. So you have to, you have to maximize the time that you have. So staying organized is key because there's going to come a point when you have to send these people back and you're going to have a ton of information that you need to then convert from just data and information into some form of actionable intelligence we have. So after you analyze it and be able to use it in order to get from one point to the other, that transition has to be very organized. Otherwise you're going to miss a lot and you're going to have spending a a lot of time going back and hunting these people down to have them uh, reaffirm some of the assumptions that you've put yourself in a position to have to make. So stay organized, have a process to capture all the information that you you're getting one time accurately. So you're not having to go back and waste more time. All right. Perfect. Now, if you could tell those that are looking to lead FMEAs, what would be that one thing you would want them to do differently to make sure that the FMEAs are really effective? Uh, preparation. I, again, I, I know I'm probably starting to, to um, sound repetitive, but you, you cannot prepare enough for these things. Uh, I even, when, when we were training new people to do the FMEAs, whether it's uh, internal Eurodicio or it's, well, we're working with people uh, or with clients. Um, we'll have them rehearse. We'll have them observe. We'll have a, go through the process, set up their templates and their own style. Um, and, and so maybe that's that's the best piece of advice I can have is you can read all the books and you can do all these things. But FMEA, as much as it is a science, is also facilitating it, it is an art form. And... Uh, everyone is going to develop their own style over a period of time and not being afraid to do that and kind of break from whatever convention you think is reality. There is a million ways to do an FMEA. The basics of it in the foundation or the framework is not going to change, right? We're still doing an analysis of, of something in order to understand how it fails to preserve function, but how we reach that end state uh, can be done a lot of different ways. So developing your own style that you're comfortable with, that you can facilitate and keep people on track and understanding is key. Right? I, I would say that's, that's probably the biggest thing. Learn as much as you can from the other people, but develop it into your own style so it's comfortable and you can stay organized and you can keep people engaged. Because if you're focused on just the process and sticking to that, you're not going to be focused on the things that you really need to be which is capturing those failures and leading that group and getting them to where they need to be. All right. Perfect. I like it. Now, what's the one thing you want our listeners to take away from the entire conversation today? They got to go do FMEAs. They got to get better facilitating. What's the thing you want them to do? All right. Uh, I, I would say don't just develop your own process. Write it down is one. 
and, and I was forced to do this. And I learned more about myself and how I did FMEs and how I wanted to do them by taking the time to actually put the process to paper and be able to evaluate. I, for me personally, maybe this is just the way I learn, but I would recommend anybody to, to give it a go is write down your process step-by-step step, how you want to do it, create that template. So if it's your whiteboard uh, created on PowerPoint or whatever you'd like to, that shows where you put your sticky notes in preparation, where you want to write different things down. Um, but create your process, document your process. So it, it is standardized and you can recreate it each time. That's how you're going to get, you'll, you'll always get better, but that is how you're going to get better quicker. Okay. Perfect. I like it. Document your process, refine your process, own your process. Yes. That see, you're, you, you're very good at translating my uh, rambling. That's good. <laughs> With that being said, Bill, where can people find out more about you? If they want to ask you questions about leading FMEAs, facilitating FMEAs, that type of thing, where can they find out more or get in touch with you? Uh, LinkedIn is the best way to, to contact me if we have never met before. So LinkedIn, you can find me under William Leahy or Iridicio. Um, if you send me a direct chat or a message, I will absolutely, um, strike up a conversation with you. And I would love to talk about just anything and everything. Um, if you're a hockey buff, feel free to send me a note too. And um, we can talk hockey for a little bit. That is something I'm missing in this COVID life is not getting out there and um, communicating with those kind of communities. I feel a little cut off. So if, if you're having the same kind of uh, withdrawal, we'll, we'll, we'll chat it up. All right. Perfect. Well, Bill, one last question before we go. Are there any resources you want to share with our listeners for FMEAs? Yeah, I, I'm all about... Um, being quick and expeditious. So uh, the book I'm going to recommend for people to read is failure modes to failure codes, I think is a fantastic book. And I know you're good friends with the author, um, but it's John Reeve and uh, Derek Burley. And it's, it, it's a very short read. You can get it done um, really in a day. You could probably read through it, but I haven't run into anything that kind of explains um, why we do these things and how, how we can organize them. That is any better than that. I really enjoy that one. All right. Perfect. Yeah. We, I will make sure to link to an episode we actually did on that exact topic. So great resource. Thanks for sharing that. Well, Bill, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today about leading FMEAs. Hopefully our listeners took away some facilitating tips. Definitely appreciate the time. It it was a, it was a pleasure. I, I really enjoyed this one. So I'll talk to you soon. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.